Hello, and welcome to Tea with Mama Cash, because feminist activism works. I'm Zora, the executive director at Mama Cash, and I'm so excited for today's podcast because we're going to be hanging out with some of my favorite people. Today is the International Day of the Girl, and what some people may not realize is that in addition to supporting women, trans people, and intersex adults who are fighting for their rights, Mama Cash also supports girl activists because there's no minimum age requirements for experiencing discrimination and violence. And so there's no minimum age for having a desire and a plan to create positive change. Mama Cash is not the only feminist fund that supports girls and specifically what we call girl-led activism. And we'll get back to what that means later. First, I want to introduce today's guests who I'm so excited are joining us today for today's podcast. Mahandra Rodrigue Acha and Nino Urechelitze from our peers and partners Frida, the Young Feminist Fund. They're going to be joining us today to talk about how girls are changing the world and how we can support them. Welcome, Maha and Nino. I'm so excited you're here. I think I've said excited now four times because I'm that excited. Before we get into it, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. Can I ask you? Why and how did you come to your work in feminism and specifically at Frida? Thank you so much, Zora, for having us on this podcast. Um, it's very exciting for us as well. Um, my name is Mahandra Rodriguez Acha, and I'm calling in from Lima, Peru. And I'm alongside Nino, one of the new co executive directors at Frida. We're about four months into the position, so still um, very much enthralled with everything and, and learning and connecting to some of Frida's partners, such as Mama Cash. Um, so it's great to be here. And in terms of how I came to feminism, um, I feel like, um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to pinpoint a single moment, but for me, it's just, it's just a part of life. It's hard to separate, really, um, being a feminist and just who I am as a person because it's, it's just it's been such an important part of my identity and of the struggles and movements that I'm engaged in um, since I can remember. Even as a kid growing up and, you know, being aware of street harassment, being aware of gender-based violence in my context that I could see people close to me experiencing and, you know, from a very young age saying, this is not okay. And, um, you know, this is something that I want to work on changing. Um, but to me, it's, it's been pretty recent that I've been more engaged in the Women's Fund space. Um, and I have a little anecdote on that. Um, I was at a convening last year called Money and Movements, which was a convening between activists and women's funds and donors who are supporting women's rights and gender justice. And at some point in the convening, they asked, the all the participants to divide up and so activists would go to one side and people engaged in the funding community would go to the other side and at that time i was uh, part of the board of directors at frida and i i went to the activist side <laughs> um and you know and i remember Devian ruby um frida's former co-executive director is kind of saying, you know, Maha, like, maybe you should also join this side. And, and halfway into the session, I, I went over to the funder side, and I was like, okay, like, you know, this is also a space that I'm a part of. And, and I think just, for me, it's interesting to navigate those multiple identities. Um, and now that I'm more fully in the women's fund space, recognizing 
um, the power dynamics and how those, um, just how my relationship to movements shift. Um, but I think at the core still remains one of, of, of an activist, you know, of somebody um, who's just kind of dedicated to figuring out how do we confront this? How do we support our movements? How do we strengthen them um, to, to confront the patriarchy and to build the, the kinds of movements that we want to see and that are healthy and just for us? Yeah. How about you, Nino? Where, where are you coming from? with this work. Uh, hey, Zora. Thank you so much for having us again. Um, I came to feminism when I was more like a teenager. Probably that's largely happened because if I was a teenage 19-year-old, I started to work at the Women's Fund. Um, so that was my big um, coming out moment as a feminist. Maybe, per- first of all, to myself because I really didn't name it as a feminism. Um, and I was really resistant towards gender-based violence as a child um, since then at school, so I would really protect myself and protect all girls around me, so I had my activism already in school, at school, but then, yeah, I never called myself a feminist because that was kind of a F word in Georgia, as, as much as in many other countries in the world, right? So, um, and then I started to work at the Women's Fund um, because I kind of related myself to everything Women's Fund was doing, especially working on gender-based violence. And specifically, I was interested in funding uh, women in Georgia. So that was my big um, step in the world of philanthropy. Um, So it's been like more than six years already since I'm working for well, previously for Women's Fund based in Georgia and now for Frida. So I think it was really organic change for me from working in the National Women's Fund for six years to moving to the multi-regional Women's Fund at Frida, specifically because it's my age, people of my kind, people like exactly the same politics as mine. So... um, it feels home. It feels like my tribe is around me. That's basically how it was. Um, yeah. That's really nice to hear. And Frida is is the only women's fund, as we're calling it, of its kind. So it's the only fund that's run by young women for young women and young young trans people and that's kind of amazing, right? So your board of directors is the same kinds of people that you're also supporting as funders to other activists and movements. That must be an amazing space to be in after being in other kinds of spaces. And that's, I think, one of the things that I'd love to talk to you about um, as we're talking together. The relationship between Frida and Mama Cash is a is a, is a long one. I think Mama Cash was one of the first funders of Frida and we've always been really keen to work with you and learn from you. Um, and what's interesting for that, um, from my perspective, is a lot of it is about um, personal relationships, right? In our, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say, we work well together when we, when we can understand each other and can hear each other. And um, Mama Cash and Frida have been walking together or flowing together for some time to try and do this and we have a kind of a funny story because Nino I first met you 
<laughs> when, I don't even remember how many years ago that was. And I was working at Mama Cash, and you were working at Tasso, the women's one of the women's funds in yeah. Georgia. And we had this amazing, funny adventure time in Guatemala when we ended up traveling together completely accidentally. And I remember there was. Do you remember this? This conversation oh, we had. We even have um. Yeah, we. That was five years ago, <laughs> quite long time. And yeah, I, I was. I even remember where we were sitting. I even remember what we were wearing. The day we had that talk, when I was extremely shocked to understand, like, I was like, "Wait a second, how old are you?" Um, because I really didn't feel that at that point. Because that event for me was um, quite stressful because it was my very first, um, you know, it was the enter to the women's fund space for the first time. And then there were just really a couple of people who were my age. Um, and then I remember Debbie sitting just next to me. That was my first interaction with Frida, actually. So that meeting was very important on so many levels. But yeah, I really do remember the meeting we had um and it was quite awkward. Yeah, so we had this funny situation where um, I don't know I don't know how we ended up on this to- topic, but we started talking about age, and you found out how yeah. old I was, and you were just shocked. I remember just looking at you, and it was I don't know five <laughs> or ten minutes. Your face just was shocked after shocked yeah. after shocked after shocked, and you just couldn't get over it that we actually had. Yeah. Uh, an age gap and I I wasn't a young feminist I wasn't a young person um, and w- what I took from that conversation is of course age matters right there's a there's a power differential when we have uh, a difference in age and it matters if you're a young feminist there's a different thing going on um, for young feminists than for for me as a as not a young feminist as a woman feminist that isn't a young person but also that we were able to to have all this time together and um, relate to yeah. each other through that divide so um, we we can do that we can work together well and support each other from our different places and for me yeah. that's important because it resonates now that you're in these roles and Maha you and I also met before you were the ED of Frida and now I can work with both of you as executive directors to executive director and that's a really special thing for me because um, Mama Cash and Frida also have this relationship um, over generations. Mama Cash is kind of part of a different kind of a generation of women's funds and Frida is definitely an kind of avant-garde, amazing new feminist funder that we're learning from. One of the ways we've been able to work together is um, through a couple of very specific initiatives, actually three initiatives that I hope we'll get to talk to next, which is the With and For Girls Collective. <coughs> The joint research that we did on where girls are organizing and how girl activists are moving in the world, and then our, our program on environmental justice and women's rights, GAGA. So we'll take just a quick break mm-hmm. now, and then maybe we can get into all the ways that girls are organizing in the world around us and what we are doing together to try and support them. You can learn more about the groups that Mama Cash supports and how you can support them too via our website, www.mamacash.org. 
So we're back to talk about Frida and with Frida and Mama Cash about us, the, the different ways that we've been supporting what we're calling girl-led activism, activism led by girls. And there are three particular initiatives that we've been collaborating on over the past few years that we're, again, quite excited to talk about and to be doing with each other. So I'm going to share a little bit about the first one, and then I hope, Maha, you can talk about the one on environmental justice, and then, Nino, you can talk about the amazing research we've just done. And the one I want to talk about is a collaboration that's been going on since 2014 called the With and For Girls Initiative. And it's a collaboration of about a dozen funders around the world. And it's funded an amazing amount of activism led by girls and for girls. It's funded in 41 countries. It's funded 60 different organizations. Um, and the total has been almost $2 million, US dollars, um, that it's been able to put out to these 60 organizations. And these organizations are doing some of the most amazing work that we can imagine um, anyway. And it's it's all led and focused on girls. And the collaboration has been, I think, really inspiring because even the way it uh, makes its decisions is girl-led. So every grant is decided on by girls. And they just did an evaluation of the whole collaborative and how we've been doing together over these years, Are the, the 12 of us that have been some of the original partners. And that research was also led by girls. So the evaluation even about how this is working for girls was done by girls. So I'm really proud that we're both in that collaboration and have been able to bring other funders to the table, bring in other people that wanted to do work on this, didn't know how, didn't know how to reach girls, didn't know what kinds of funding would work best for girls. And Frida and Mama Cash have been able to influence some of those funders a little bit, change some practices and get even more funding out to the amazing activism that girls are leading around the world. Maha, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, the work on the environment that we've been doing together? Yes, for sure. And this is very close to my heart um, before joining Frida. And even now that I'm still in Frida, environmental activism and climate justice activism specifically is, is a big part of where my heart and soul is. To me, the work that Mama Cash and Frida and other organizations who are convened under GAGA, which is the Global Alliance for Green and Gender Action, exciting acronym, um, that the work that is being led through that network is really uh, cross-cutting. Because what we're talking about is what is the relevance of gender justice and women's rights to environmental justice issues. And so, for example, recognizing that in many contexts, especially in rural areas and in indigenous communities, women are the ones who are first impacted and often have access to the least resources to be able to address negative impacts of, for example, natural disasters, which we know in the context of climate crisis will be increasing in quantity and frequency and intensity. Um, so... Through, with Mama Cash's support and with this collaboration, Frida is supporting a number of grantee partners, young feminist groups who are working for environmental and climate justice in their own communities. So, for example, we have Corporación Cijita in Colombia, which is a young feminist group engaged in environmental education and tree planting in their community. 
and they're really highlighting what is the traditional role of women as caretakers, especially in rural communities. And that care work often includes not just caring for the family and family members, but also caring for the natural environment, also ensuring that the water is clean, the water that is going, you know, for their family's cooking and cleaning, um, that the soil is clean, that the air is clean, and how these struggles are often being led by women for women in these communities. And I would say another exciting group that Frida is uh, currently partnering with and supporting is Island Pride in Micronesia, in, uh, which is a Pacific island. And so, again, for example, recognizing in the Pacific islands, um, rising sea levels are increasingly a threat in the context of climate crisis. And again, uh, women as well as LGBT and specifically trans communities are particularly exposed to some of these threats. Safe houses are often places where people ha are forced to stay in if there's flooding, if they, they, they can't stay in their homes, they have to stay in safe homes. And these places are often not actually safe for young women um, or for trans communities who might be exposed to sexual violence and abuse. So, you know, for us, it's really important to keep thinking about what are these connections, what are these intersections, how can we kind of leave our silos, leave women's rights silos, leave environmental justice silos, and actually recognize that communities are confronting both of these issues and more uh, through an intersectional perspective, recognizing that um, the issues that we face are all interconnected, they're all part of our daily lives. Um, and, you know, how can we support groups who are engaging in these issues and, and fighting for safe, clean, just, sustainable communities and livelihoods? Nice. Thanks. It's great to hear about some of the partners you're directly supporting and the kinds of things that they're confronting and basically solving for us, right, as societies, coming up with new ways of tackling problems that predate them so especially for work that's led by girls problems that were not created by them and um, were created before them and they're actually at the forefront of figuring out what we should be doing about them and how to address them Nino could you share do you think now a little bit about this research that we did that was quite innovative at the time it's it's the first research of its kind it's the first research mm -hmm. led by girl activists about their own activism and it was published a year ago now. Um, I wonder if you could share a little bit about what kind of what you learned from the research. Yes, thank you, Zoran. Um, it's really important and beautiful for all of us to get back to this research and reflect on it because what this research is doing and it's special for is that it's celebrating that girls are not the future of feminism, but they are the present of feminism. So, and then thinking about how much we know about the young girls under 18 um, and how they are organizing, there's a huge gap. So we, this was an attempt to fill this gap and understand the characteristics of organizing and understand what are the barriers of organizing for young girls. And we tried to come up with some suggestions. Um, mm -hmm. The really important part of this research is the whole process, actually, because it was um, collectively done as in a very strict style, participatorily done uh, together with advisors that we are having and the researchers, the younger researchers, 
Um, so they gave really interesting overview of um, how this organizing is done and um, how can we as the funders of the young girls and women's rights can do better. Thanks, Nino. And it's going to be great when we get into some of the main findings that we um, discovered through this report. Before we get into that, I just wanted to explain a little bit about the title because that's one of the best parts for me. The report title of the research is called Girls to the Front. And it's a shout out to a previous time when girls were really um, visibly organizing, were well known for organizing. It's, it goes back to the riot girls and the feminist punk uh, movement. And in particular, it refers to um, what girl band leaders, girl artists used to do where they would call girls up to the front of the mosh pit so that um, they wouldn't get crushed in the mosh pit and could still participate and be part of the experience and help shape the experience. And this was really important for the folks that were working on this report, which I learned about um, basically in preparing for this podcast through uh, Amanda Giggler, who's one of the producers on the show, and through our colleague Esther Laver, who also worked on this report. Um, that this is was really important to name it this way because this report is about that. Girls have to bring girls to the front and girls are bringing girls to the front. They can't wait for other people to do that. And that's exactly what this report is doing as well. It's bringing girls, girls bringing girls to the front. It's time for feminist mishaps because nobody's perfect and we're all human. So, Maha, do you want to share one of your feminist mishaps? <laughs> sure. This is a group mishap. Um, I'm a part of a drumming collective, a feminist drumming collective here in Lima. And, you know, we tend to um, rehearse every week and then we perform or play drums in different protests and events and get invited. And um, there was a point in time when we just didn't really coincide for the rehearsals and we were invited to a, a public demonstration and we said, you know, it's, it's good. We'll be good. Um, and we shut up to the demonstration and immediately all started playing completely different things, totally offbeat, started, you know, we have lyrics to some of the songs that we play that we try to change according to the theme of the different um, events that we're presenting at. So sometimes it's about uh, abortion rights and sexual health and reproductive rights. Other times it's more about um, anti-corruption and more political. So we, we started saying different things in the songs and, you know, yelling out, like, right to the side, and then others yelling out, like, right to education, and really mixing up everything <laughs> musically and in terms of... Um, while we were yelling, and we were just completely unprepared. Um, and it was, it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> but people people were still dancing. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> big mishap, but still fun. Amazing. That is hilarious. Actually, I'm just picturing that happening. Nino, <laughs> come, please oh, share my... with us. Tell us we're not alone. You've had a mishap? <laughs> yeah, I actually had it... Um, couple of months ago in Canada when I met Amina Daherty for the first time. She's the founding member and coordinator of Frida. So she was she was the person who was in charge before all of us, you know, and she's kind of my feminist 
um, role model. And it was the first time I saw her in person. So I was like, is this her? Are, are you sure it's her? Like, I was asking people around. And then I went and said hi, like a teenage kid who kind of just now saw someone super, like, crazy important celebrity. Because she is that kind of person for me. So that was a super awkward moment. But then I even got the photo. I didn't ask her to sign anything, thank God, because that definitely would be super awkward. But... um. I was like, can I have a photo, please? And I felt like I've never done that kind of things before. And it was my first time of asking some, some, yeah, it's, I'm still blushing. <laughs> but still, anyway. That was amazing because I, I found out that that had happened to you because the next thing you did was tweet it out to the entire world that you had just had that yes. experience. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. That was Guilty. amazing. <laughs> Do you have a feminist yeah. blunder of your own, listeners? Send us your confessions anonymously if you wish, and we may share it on a future episode. You can reach us on Twitter at MamaCash or at T, that's the kind you drink, T-E-A, at MamaCash.org. So coming back to this amazing research that we did, Girls to the Front, that was published a year ago, um, we're going to talk now about what, what we learned about that. What amazing things did we discover about that or what things did we find out from from the girl researchers that we kind of already knew that but that became really important for us to understand better and work with Nino Maha can you share a little bit about what it was like for you to read this research what did you learn about I I think again I want to highlight um, that it was a participatory research um, which made it so special and that basically like a key learning regarding a process was that um, the research was extra special because of the methodology and how participatory it was and how our girl advisors supported the whole process. And it's really important that people who conducted the research were coming from different backgrounds from different countries and with different skill levels. So um, that definitely was something super nice. Um, And overall, the research aims to um, gain the better understanding of a girl-led organizing. Um, so there were lots of learnings around how the, the girls under 18 are organizing. So that's, that's basically the most important small wrap-up. Um, Maha, do you want to hear something? And I think, you know, what this research is really trying to get at is that girls are actually badass and they're doing so much and they're facing actually the same issues that adults are facing so why should they be less visible right like they're also facing gender-based violence and because of their age in an ageist world in a world that discriminates um people based on age that considers adults say 30 40 years depending on the specific context to be the full holders of rights and children to be perhaps partial holders of rights, because of that, they're not just facing misogyny and they're not just facing gender-based violence because of their condition and identity and of being perceived as women or as trans youth or as intersex youth, they're faced discrimination, right? So, you know, they're up against a lot of challenges, closing civil society, so increasingly repressive governments, increasingly conservative right-wing fundamentalist governments that are cutting back on programs to support women's rights, for example, or social services, girls are impacted by that too. 
and they're actually standing up and, and organizing themselves. You know, they're having meetings, they're meeting after school, they're meeting after university. Um, in some contexts, especially in, in Peru, we have 16-year-olds already entering uh, a university-type space, you know, and they're sitting down and they're talking and they're organizing and they're saying, we want to not be, we want to challenge the perception that we don't have agency, that we don't have something to add to the conversation. And we want respect from others and particularly from the adults around us. And in a feminist space, we want respect from older feminists too. Um, you know, we want to, we acknowledge that we're on a learning path, but we want to share as equals. We don't want to be seen as, as, you know, people in an in-between stage where we're not fully able to provide knowledge and expertise on the issues that we're confronting. One of the interesting findings to me was how sometimes the notion of success is different um, for girls than for adult-led development organizations, for example. That for them, just the fact of getting together, meeting, and talking with each other about issues that affect them is success in and of itself because they're up against so many challenges. I think for me that highlights um, something that's quite important too around sometimes there are a lot of organizations that work on behalf of girls, but they're not led by girls. And in this research, it kind of demonstrates the difference between projects and organizations that do that, that work on behalf of girls and those that are actually led by girls. Because, of course, the quality of the experience is different for the girls that are participating, mm -hmm. right? If they're part of the decision-making and helping to shape, for example, the research that's different than them being researched about and for. And also that the results are actually different. So the findings are different. What we might think is important for myself as an adult woman is different than what they might say is important. And we wouldn't discover that if they weren't in a position to be able to voice their truths. So for Frida, being a feminist fund necessarily means being a participatory fund because we are accountable or we try our best every single day and it's a learning process, but we try our best to be accountable to the feminist movements that we're supporting and that we set out to support. These movements are young, they're feminist, and they are very much participatory and horizontal themselves. That's because... In a patriarchal world, decision is made by those at the top. <laughs> and we're trying to turn that model upside down because we want to recognize the expertise that every single person has in the room. In terms of the research and in terms of Frida's work, having participatory decision-making is really key to our values and to our principles and just to the, to the world that we want to build. You know, we're confronting the patriarchy, we're confronting violence, we're confronting conservative governments that are closing down our spaces for participation. How do we confront that? With more participation, with hearing more voices, with more people at the table, with putting the, throwing the table out the room and setting up a picnic <laughs> where we can all share and we can all collaborate and we can all exchange. And again, I think it's a work in progress always. Um, it's not necessarily easy, but it's really important and it's really fundamental to who we are as a fund in Frida and to girl-led organizing around the world as well. That's really inspiring, Maha. Thanks. We, we know about Malala. We know about Greta. We know about some 
kind of singular heroic girl figures um, that we are we are kind of learning about in the world and that we're reading more about and we can see the incredible activism that they're pursuing. Um, I'm I'm wondering if you have some inspiring examples you'd want to share, not necessarily naming any groups or anything like that, but kind of what what moves you when you think about girls' activism? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think of, of girl-led groups that I know here in Lima, where I'm from, and actually that with the drumming collective that I'm a part of, we've we've had some experiences just sharing knowledge and, and playing drums together as well. Um, and, you know, these are girls who are in school, um, in their neighborhoods, in situations where they're facing a lot of violence, a lot of harassment in their families, on the streets, in their schools as well. These oftentimes aren't actually safe spaces for girls and for boys, for, for children. Um, and, you know, and they're, they're sitting around the table together and they're saying, how do we support each other? How do we, how do we call out the adults in our lives that, you know, maybe aren't fulfilling their responsibilities to really take care of us? Um, and to create safe spaces for us. How do we create our own spaces outside of those? In the research, there are many um, really inspiring examples put out, but just a girl-led group in Guatemala, for example, who has its own radio station and has a show every morning to talk about feminism and talk, to talk about their rights in a rural context. And that's so incredibly powerful, um, you know, to have a space like that and to be confronting I don't know, adult-led radio programs in their own context. And I've, I've been in, in rural areas in Peru, and radio is very widely used, and it's an extremely male-dominated space, an adult male-dominated space. You can have radio, local radio programs where you have sort of like, I don't know, people, men just kind of going on and on for hours of their analysis of local politics and things like that, and you don't really have a space for diverse voices and for more inclusive um spaces and conversations. So, you know, they're really up against a lot um, and really brave in the work that they do. Thanks so much to our peers at Frida. That was a really great conversation and uh, an introduction to some of the work we've been doing together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Laura. Unfortunately, Nino had to run to another appointment, but on behalf of both Nino and I, just wanted to say we really appreciate the partnership we have with Mama Cash with other funds um, that focus on supporting women's work and work for gender justice. And thank you so much for this opportunity to share. I look forward to more. Thanks for listening. You can find Mama Cash and Frida on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or on our websites at www.youngfeministfund.org or www.mamacash.org. And you can find this podcast, Tea with Mama Cash, on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you think what we do is important and you want to help us support women, girls, trans, and intersex activists around the world, there are many things you can do. You can, of course, donate via our website. You can rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more people. Or better yet, you can recommend Tea with Mama Cash to a friend who cares about feminism too. You can also always reach us with questions, feedback, or ideas at tea at mamacash.org. This is your host, Zora Musa, signing off until the next time. This podcast was produced by Amanda Giggler, 
Mike Mirkovic and Sofia Sewell, my colleagues at Mama Cash. And of course, a special thanks to Nino and Mahandra for joining us today. 